we're jumping into Mark chapter 2 today, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your Bible app, you can open it, or we'll have the scripture on the screen behind us. And we're going to jump right in with the first verse of Mark chapter 2. Mark writes, When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now you have to take a minute here to imagine the scene. We saw last week that as Jesus started to heal people, as he started to set people free from things, more people started hearing about it and they came to get something from Jesus. I would have done the same thing. If I heard that Jesus was walking down the street in Rue, you guys would be on your own for the rest of service and I'd be chasing him down the street, okay? So the word was getting out about Jesus and people wanted, they wanted to hear what Jesus was teaching and they wanted Jesus to heal them and set them free. So we can see that this place where Jesus was teaching was totally packed full of people. It was packed outside the door. And, uh, and these guys came and they brought their friend who was paralyzed. And they couldn't get through the crowd, so they went up on the roof and dug a hole in the roof. Now you have to imagine the scene, like there would have been the people in the front row sitting there listening to Jesus, feeling good about themselves because they got there very early and they got to sit on the front row. Not like the bridge. Everybody likes to sit in the back row at church. Um, I'm just saying, when it was Jesus, people fought for the front row, okay? Just remember that. But, uh, but people came in, and they're sitting on the front row, and the people in the front must have felt very good about themselves, you know? And you imagine that they're listening to Jesus teaching, and all of a sudden, one of them is like, oh, man, I have something in my eye. What is it? Is it like, oh, it's a piece of dirt. It's so weird. And then they're like, what is that? Oh, man. And there's guys digging a hole through the ceiling. I would have been really annoyed if I was on the front row, because it's like, I got this great seat, and here's this guy coming down right in front of Jesus. And you have to imagine this moment where Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, it would be super awkward, right? Like if someone started digging a hole in the ceiling of the Novotel, it would be really awkward to try to teach through it. So you imagine this guy come, comes down, and he's clearly paralyzed, and everyone's like, what is Jesus going to do? Like, are these guys going to get in trouble? What's going to happen? And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. And the guys on the roof were probably like sticking their heads through and they're like, he could have forgiven the guy's sins from the back of the room. Like we didn't lower him through the roof so his, so his sins could be forgiven. We lowered him through the roof so that his body could be healed. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then it goes on and it says, some teachers of the law, some religious leaders were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In verse 8, it says, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Man, it would have been rough to be around Jesus because whatever you're thinking, Jesus already knew, you know? Uh, and, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, 
The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The guy got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray together before we move on. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that the word is alive and it is powerful and it's sharp enough to do surgery on our hearts, God, that you use your word to teach us, to bring revelation into our lives. Thank you for your word, God. Lord, I pray that as we move on through this story today, God, that you would reveal to us things from your Holy Spirit that are supernatural. God, things that we couldn't understand with our own intelligence and that you, would, um, that you would show us how these things apply to our lives. God, use your word to change us this morning. I pray, God, just, just as your power did that day in Capernaum, God, that you would release healing and freedom in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So there's two things I want to focus on with, with this guy's healing, because it's easy to look at a story like this and say, Oh, that's nice for that guy. Jesus was standing right there in front of him. Like, that's easy. It would be super easy to pray if praying meant you have a coffee with Jesus and you talk to him and he just does whatever you need him to do. But we have to remember that, that, uh, that when we pray, we're actually speaking to Jesus. We're talking to God when we pray. So in some ways, this, these things in this story, these things are still possible. Because we can, we can pray for these things to happen. God still heals people's bodies. God still releases us from our sins. But I want to talk about two elements of this story that are very relevant to our lives today. And the first factor in this guy's healing is that this guy was healed in community. He was healed in community. It says that when they lowered Jesus down through the roof, it says Jesus saw their faith. He didn't just see the faith of the man that needed healed. He saw the faith of his friends that actually brought him to Jesus. See, this guy couldn't bring himself to Jesus. He couldn't get himself there. Functionally, his limbs didn't work, so he couldn't walk to Jesus. But there was also a crowd between him and Jesus. There were barriers in the way between him and Jesus. And sometimes in our lives, there are barriers between us and Jesus. There are sometimes things that we, we feel like we can't push through in order to get to Jesus. Maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe it's a sense of fear. Maybe it's a sense of failure in our own lives. But sometimes when we know we need something from Jesus, there's things that are in the way. It feels like there's things between us and Jesus. Those are the moments that it's important to have people around us that can carry us to Jesus when we can't get ourselves there. It's important to be part of a community because other people in the body of Christ might have a hand in what you need from Jesus. This guy's friends were such good friends. They loved and believed in his healing so much that they, they wrecked the roof to get him to Jesus. They loved him so much that they wrecked the roof to get him to Jesus. And the truth about our lives is that generally you're either the guy on the mat or you're the guy carrying the mat. And this isn't so much a thing about a season of your life. It's not like you spend so much time on the mat and then you're forever carrying the mat. You might have days where you feel like you're the guy on the mat and you need something from Jesus, but you can't quite get there. And other days, you're the guy carrying the mat and bringing other people 
to Jesus. So maybe you're here today and you're far from Jesus and there's things in your life that you need healing for. Maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe it's a deep need that you have. But I want you to know that Christianity was not meant to be an individual sport. Christianity wasn't meant to be just you and God, you know, alone in your apartment for all time. Christianity is a team sport. We need each other. We need each other. If you walk in this place and you're too prideful or too cool to ever show your vulnerability, you're not going to get past the barriers. You're not going to get past those barriers. You have to come in here and be vulnerable and let people help you. This is hard. It's hard in my life, but I recognize that sometimes I need to be carried by other people. This week, I, I sent a text message to someone back in the U.S. I know she prays for me. I said, hey, I, I really need you to pray for me this week. I, I just have, like, some clutter in my head, and I'm trying to make some decisions, and, and you know, I, I just need you, to, I need you to pray for me. And she did. And she texted me last night, and she said, hey, I prayed for you today, and here's what I prayed for you. And she shared a word of encouragement with me. I needed someone to carry me a little bit and help me get closer to Jesus because I couldn't do it in that moment on my own. That's what the body of Christ is for. That means you have to show up and you have to open your heart to build relationships with other people. This is not the kind of church where you have to walk in and act like you have everything together because we all know it's a lie, okay? We all know that sometimes we walk in here and, um, and maybe you're in this place today. There have been times I've walked into church and I have, I've said to the Lord, I just need something from you to get me through the next week because I'm really struggling. Amen. Maybe some of you are in that place today. If you'll be vulnerable and open and allow the body of Christ to come around you, they can carry you to Jesus when you don't have the strength to get there on your own. See, healing in the Bible, when Jesus would heal somebody, it was a little taste of the resurrection. It was a little taste of, of the future, of, um, of the time when Jesus will overcome death and disease and sin and shame and all of this stuff, and we will live in perfect communion with Christ. It's these little tastes of the resurrection. It's these little moments where Jesus goes, I'm going to set all things right, and here's a little preview of what that's going to be like but it happens in community. It happens in community. If you don't like the body of Christ, you're going to be in big trouble in heaven, okay? Because I, I plan to be there. I hope all of you are there. But it's important that we remember that we're created for community. And when you feel barriers between yourself and Jesus, you have to open yourself up and allow people to carry you closer to him. So maybe you're here and you're the guy on the mat or maybe you're here and you're doing great with God and you know someone who needs help pushing past those barriers and you're the guy carrying the mat. One of our core values here at the bridge is strategic engagement. And here's what that means. That means that we will go to whatever lengths necessary to remove barriers for people to know Jesus. We will work to understand our community and surrounding culture in order to better reach people with the gospel. What I mean when I say that we will go to whatever lengths necessary, I mean we're going to wreck the roof. We're going to be willing to put ourselves in a position where we're beating through the roof to get people closer to Jesus. We're going to remove barriers so that people can know Jesus. 
We're not going to cluster in here on Sunday mornings and say, well, if they want Jesus, they know where to find us. Our service times are on the website. So they can just come to us. And we're going to do things our way, and we're going to do things the way we want to and completely turn a blind eye to what the needs of the community are. We want to overcome barriers and help people find Jesus. We're not sitting here waiting for them to come to us. We're going to carry them to Jesus. Please don't carry people into church next Sunday. If I see you dragging someone to church, you're going to be in big trouble, okay? I I don't mean we're physically carrying them in. I mean when we pray for them, we're imagining ourselves praying them closer to Jesus. We're going to pray for them. We're going, to, we're going to let them know that we're available to them. We're going to, uh, we're going to offer to pray for them in person. We're going to do whatever it takes to bring those people closer to Jesus. Discipleship doesn't just happen by accident. We have to use the skills and the gifts that God has given us to reach our neighbors and our friends and our family members. All of us have something to bring to the table when it comes to bringing people to Jesus. And we have to grow in our faith so that we're strong enough to carry other people. None of us were meant to be carried throughout our whole lifetime. There are seasons in our lives, there are days where we're, we're on the mat and we need to be carried. But after Jesus forgave the guy's sins, he told him to get up and walk. There's some of you here and maybe you've, maybe you've been in a place of brokenness for a long time. And maybe God is saying to you, get up and take your mat and walk out of here. And you say, oh man, you know, this mat is really nice. It's pretty soft, and sometimes people give me money when I sit on it, so like, I'm good, I'll take my healing another day. Or maybe you're here, and you've been on a mat, and Jesus says to you, get up and walk, and you say back to Jesus, you know, I'm not really sure that you've actually healed me, and if I stand up, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to walk. I'm not sure I really trust that I'm going to be able to do the thing that you're calling me to do, so I'm just going to stay here on my mat. You get your turn. You get your turn on the mat. Everybody gets a chance to be on the mat and be carried. But when Jesus tells you to get up and walk, when your friends get you through the roof and they get you to Jesus and Jesus says, get up and walk, you get up and walk because someone else needs to be carried next. The Christian life is not about staying constantly in a place of shame and constantly in a place where you're broken and and paralyzed. The Christian walk is about coming to a place of brokenness and saying, Jesus, I need you to heal me, receiving healing, getting up, and walking. So I want to let you know today that if you're in a place of brokenness, that's great. Jesus can work with brokenness. Jesus can work with your brokenness. But Jesus doesn't want you to stay broken forever. So when you get in, when you press into Jesus, if he's telling you it's time to get up and walk, get up and walk because we need you. We need you as part of this church. We need you as part of this community and there's someone else that needs carried after you. Part of the power of this 21 days of prayer initiative is that we're doing it together as a community. We're coming together as a community and we're believing for some things. We want to believe for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We want to believe for peace in our city. We want to believe together that God has a plan for this church at this time in this community. We want to carry our friends and our community to Christ in prayer. So the second thing these guys did, first of all, they were a community, but the second thing is that they were determined. It took determination 
to get that guy to Jesus. And that guy, he was willing to look like a fool. He was lowered through the roof. He interrupted the meeting. All the attention was on him, and that was okay with him because he was determined he was going to get to Jesus. We learned so much about pressing through in prayer in this story. And sometimes when I pray, I give up too quick. I give up too quick when I pray sometimes. But this story shows us that if the crowd is between you and Jesus, you go through the roof. You do whatever it takes to get a word from Jesus. So first, first Jesus forgave the guy's sins. The guy comes to the roof and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now that wasn't the need that everybody else saw. Everybody else looked at him and said he needs a healing in his body. Even the paralyzed guy was probably like, thank you, I appreciate that, but like, I hope there's, I hope there's something else in the bag for me because he came there to be healed. But sometimes Jesus doesn't give us what we ask for because that's not actually what we need. Jesus knows what we need. And the more time we spend in prayer, the more we align with the heart of the Father. That's the first thing that it means to pray. It means that we align our hearts with the heart of the Father. Last week, we talked about Jesus going into solitary places. He went out and he sought the Father alone in the silence because sometimes we have to realign our heart, and our will with the heart of the Father. When I pray, I often spend quite a bit of time in silence. And if you're here and you don't know how to pray, you can just listen. That's prayer too. Sometimes I get my cup of coffee and I go and I sit down in my Bible reading chair. And uh, if you have a Bible reading chair, you know what I'm talking about. And I put my blanket on because I'm too cheap to turn my heaters on. And, uh, and sometimes I just sit there and I just listen. And I say, God, if you want to speak something to me, I'm ready. I'm here. And sometimes I need to rest in God's presence. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I, I feel burdened with things. And I need to rest in God's presence. So sometimes I just go and I'm silent. I want to hear what God has to say to me. And I want to realign my heart with the heart of the Father. It's very important when we pray that we don't give up too quick. We need to pray with determination. In, uh, in the book of Genesis, chapter 32, there's this story of Jacob wrestling with God all night long. He wrestled with him all night long. And at the point that, at the, point that, the, um, that the angel of God went to leave, Jacob grabbed me and he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And sometimes when we pray, we're very like, okay, Lord, well, you know, whatever you think is best, but I'm not trying to bother you. You know, we just take a very, um, a very low view of what God has actually empowered us with. But sometimes when we pray, we need to do what Jacob did, and we need to say, I won't let you go until you speak to me. I won't let you go until you let me sense your presence. It's not about forcing God's hand. It's about being determined to hear a word from him or get a touch from him. The second um, element of prayer is, first of all, it's aligning our heart with the heart of the Father, but it's also contending for God to come through. Prayer is about fighting for things. When our hearts are aligned with the heart of the Father, His will becomes our will. And when we know the will of the Father, that's when we fight in prayer. That's when we contend for the will of God. The friends of the paralyzed man didn't take no for an answer. They didn't take no for an answer. They knew that their friend was going to be healed that day. So they pushed through, they wrecked the roof, and they got their friend to Jesus. 
the things that I'm contending for in my own life right now, what I pray for every day is I pray for God to make me more hungry for his presence. There's like things I want God to do in my life. Um, There's things I want him to do. But the first thing I'm praying for is that he'll make me hungry for his presence and hungry for his word. That's what I'm wanting from God. And I pray for it every day. God, make me hungry for your presence. Make me hungry for your word. That's what I'm praying. That's what I'm believing God for. And I'm not going to give up until God makes me hungry for his presence. Because I know that the will of God is for me to pursue him. The will of God is for me to fall in love with the word. So that's what I'm praying for. Um, And there's times that God burdens us with a vision of something that seems impossible. But we're almost sure it's his will for our lives. Or that it's his will for our community or for our church. So in this 21 days of prayer, I want to be really open with you. And I'm going to ask you to believe with me for a couple of miracles in this next 21 days. The first thing that we're going to contend for, the first thing that we're going to fight for as a church is a building. We believe, we believe that it's time for us to move into a location that has larger capacity so that more people can come to know Jesus, so that we can, uh, we can have space for more kids in the children's ministry. We're believing for a building. We believe that it's time. I feel strongly in my spirit that we're going to stay the size we are until we move out of this building. I don't know what it is. I don't know what God's going to do. But we're asking you to believe with us for a building. It doesn't have to be one we're buying. It can be a new temporary facility. But pray with us that God will pave the way that he'll make it very clear. We need a building. And we, need, we all need to be praying together in that direction. The other thing that I'm asking God for every day, but especially during this 21 days of prayer, is a, is a children's director for our Bridge Kids area. We have a fantastic Bridge Kids lead team, and they have been doing a phenomenal job. We've been almost a year without a kids director, and we need someone who is passionate about discipling children, who is a mature believer, who can support the parents as they raise their kids. This is what we're praying for. So pray with me for a building and a children's director. It's in your prayer guide, but if you forget a prayer guide, you can spend 21 days praying for a building and a children's director. And I will be very happy that you did that. But we need to come together as a church and fight. We need to fight to see God move in our community. We need to fight to see our neighbors and our family members come to know Christ. We need to fight for them in prayer. We're going to do that together for the next 21 days. Um, I want to encourage you in this next 21 days to go further with prayer than you have in the past. Now, all of us start, start from a different place here. And so I want to challenge you in a, on a few different levels here. If you've never prayed before, I want to challenge you over this next 21 days to try praying out loud. You don't have to yell so that all your neighbors hear what a good Christian you are, okay? Um, there's something powerful about praying out loud because when you hear yourself praying, it encourages your faith. And sometimes you pray something, and, it, and that's how God speaks to you. Because sometimes when you pray something prophetic, it edifies your faith, and God speaks to you through that. So if you've never prayed before, or if you've never prayed out loud, you don't have to do it on the metro. You don't have to do it walking down the street. You can, you can just pray really quietly. It's just important to get the words out. If you're embarrassed for anyone to hear you, pray in the shower. Pray in the shower with the water running so that no one can hear you, 
or go for a walk or pray in your car. Find somewhere where you can pray out loud and just try it. If you feel awkward, that's okay. You might feel awkward. When I was a kid, there were times that I would lay in bed and I'd be like, so, hey, God, um, here's what happened at school today. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just kind of started talking to God in that way. And you have to start somewhere. So if you feel awkward, it's okay. Nobody has to hear you. Um, this morning I prayed while I was walking my dog. I prayed out loud. I think a couple people saw me talking to myself, as, as they would think. But I was walking my dog, and I was like, Lord, move in our services today. I was praying for some of you by name and all this stuff. you know. And then someone would come along, and I'd be like, just <laughs> slow down a little bit. But I, I've been using that time on Sunday mornings to pray for our gatherings here. I want to challenge you to try praying out loud. Um, the next thing I want to challenge you to do is try keeping a journal. For me, writing really helps me organize my thoughts. Writing helps me process through things. If you don't enjoy writing, you might even try keeping a list. Here's the things that I'm believing God for. And the cool thing is that when God answers those prayers or when God redirects those prayers, you can go back and, and see when you prayed it and write in that God answered those prayers. Keeping a journal is an awesome way to, um, to grow your prayer life. And the third thing I want to encourage, and I will be putting this into practice during our 21 days, um, I want to encourage you to try fasting. Fasting is a spiritual discipline uh, that basically means you're giving up food for a time to seek God. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not asking you to give up food for the next 21 days. Please do not give up food for the next 21 days. Um, this can mean giving up certain meals on certain days, like it could be lunch on Mondays or breakfast on Thursdays. It might mean giving up lunch all of the 21 days or maybe giving up a specific food. Maybe you don't eat bread or maybe you only drink water for the next 21 days. Ask God what you should do and whatever you feel that he's leading you to do, do that thing, okay? Um, a couple notes. on This is all in the prayer guide as well. Um, fasting is not about weight loss, okay? This is not a weight loss plan. It's important to have your heart in the right place when you start fasting. So don't start fasting and weigh yourself every day and then be like, yes, you know, I lost a kilo. That's not the point of fasting. That might happen, but that's not the point. The point is to align our hearts with the heart of God. And I also want to say, if you have health issues that are affected by food, like diabetes or hypoglycemia, or if you've dealt with an eating disorder, maybe find something else to fast, okay? I'm not on the train of this whole like, oh, just fast social media or like fast television. Fasting is about food, but some of us have other issues with food that would prohibit us from fasting food. So if you have a health issue or if you are recovering from an eating disorder, please use caution with this. You can talk to me afterwards if you have questions about it. Um, but fasting is something that we see in Scripture several times. Jesus practiced fasting. And after Jesus fasted, he was prepared to deal with temptation. You can read that story in the Bible in Matthew chapter 4. He fasted and he overcame great temptation. And then in Acts chapter 13 and 14, it was the beginning of the church. People were starting to go and share the gospel. And when the church leaders had a big decision to make, they fasted. It says they prayed and they fasted, and it gave them more clarity in hearing the voice of God. Fasting is an outward practice of our hunger for God's presence or his hand 
in our lives. It's where we take something that we desire, we take something that sustains us, and we say we're going to put this to the side because we want more of God. It's a way to demonstrate surrender and determination in our prayers. And fasting really reminds our body who the boss is. Fasting reminds our flesh that our spirit is in charge. There's a new boss in town, and our body is not the boss. Now, fasting, one great thing about fasting is it really reminds us how much grace we require from God. If you feel like you're a great Christian, let me tell you, when you start fasting, you know, you're like, I'm going to fast lunch, and then it gets to like 1 p.m., and you're like, I think I might have an undiagnosed disease. I better go get a sandwich. And you, it's, it starts to teach you how little we have to offer in our own power when it comes to God's hand in our lives. It's a great thing to practice, um, but it reminds our body that our spirit is in charge. And Jesus talks a little bit about fasting in Mark chapter 2. You'll encounter that in your Mark uh, reading plan this week. But he demonstrates to us that fasting isn't something that we practice just because we're told to. It has to be out of an authentic desire to see God move and to hear from God. In verses 21 and 22, Jesus says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. The truth is that if you want God to do something in your life that he's never done before, you might have to do something you've never done before. You might have to push in and go a little further in to what God is calling you to do. I don't know about you, but I want God to create me into a new wineskin so that I'm ready for the new wine that he has to fill me with. I don't want to be an old, an old shell of a wineskin. I don't want to keep doing the same thing I've been doing and expect to receive something new from God. I want God to make me a new creation and then fill me with new wine and, and nourish other people from my life. That's what I want from God. God wants to do something new with you, and I believe that God wants to do something new in our church in this 21 days. It terrifies me. It terrifies me because I like knowing how everything's going to go. But I believe that God is moving our church into a new, um, a new place of hearing from his voice, of experiencing his presence. And I want you on board. I want you to be part of that. To, as we come together and we pray over the next 21 days, I believe that God is going to do something new in our church and he's going to do something new in your life.